0: to the vow, voice of women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. the pleasure of sitting here and speaking with Pamela Joyce Hayes, an author and speaker from Harlem's Lincoln Projects. Draws from her upbringing of 14 years of marriage and motherhood to create compelling stories. Her journey as an author gained momentum after her ex-husband's 2003 arrest, leading to her transformative role as a published author on May 23rd, 2009. Pamela pioneers by releasing her books as audiobooks with titles like Family Time, T-Y-M-E, don't Get Caught Up, and Fire, The Diary of a Bisexual Woman. Pamela's impact resonates through her works and her upcoming off-Broadway play, Side Chicks, and series, I Am Not Defined by My Address. Today, I have the pleasure of hearing Pamela's story as a breast cancer survivor, advocate, and author. Pamela, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank and you so much. You're, you're in Harlem, New York. What's, what's it like
1: over there right now? Is it a warm summer day? It is a, it's a nice breeze. It's like a, like a fall, like we're going into fall season. So it's only 70 something degrees today, which I love because I can't stand the heat. Um, (laughs) So it's not raining, it's not overcast, so it's a really nice, it's a perfect, like, going into the fall day over oh,
0: here. I love <laughs> it. That sounds beautiful. Well, I got engaged in New York at the Waldorf Astoria with a carriage ride around Central Park. And wow. uh, I know, my husband really pulled out <laughs> all the stops. So um, love New York. We keep saying we need to go back. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> so could you start, Pamela, by introducing yourself to our listeners and maybe sharing a bit about your journey as a breast cancer survivor advocate and author?
1: Yes, I am. Uh, oof, wow. that You make me sound so great on paper. <laughs>
0: well, I think you are great and you have a great story.
1: <laughs> um, my name is, um, like she said, author Pamela J. Hayes. I am 55 years old and I am a, I am remission. I'm in remission from breast cancer, um, 26 weeks now. Um, I became, I've been writing all of my life. Um, since I was like five years old, I always wanted to create, I love creating stories on paper, but my journey as an author started when my now ex-husband, he went to prison. Um, he was a drug dealer and I didn't know. And, um, that took a toll, a big impact on the family. And people don't understand when someone goes to jail that's a a prominent family member, the whole family is like incarcerated. That's why it came up with that title in the book. Um, That's why I started writing and telling my story and I wanted to do it in a fiction so people could understand and relate. As a breast cancer survivor, this was recent. Last year, actually, October the twenty-seventh at four thirty PM, I got the news that I had breast cancer and it was start it was really um I couldn't understand it because breast cancer doesn't run in my family. So it was really hard for me to take that hit because I was already I'm already a diabetic and I take insulin. So my doctor um it took about 45 minutes for it to really sink in because I sat there in the breast can- in the in the office with the oncologist telling them you have the wrong person you know do another test um, which they did several tests before they tell you that you have breast cancer and you don't know what stage you're in and she really had to because all of my doctors are in a, a network so she really she had to call my um my primary care doctor to come and convince me that these tests were correct so when you hear cancer the first thing you think is death because that's what cancer is about. But um, it made me realize that um, I had to take this journey and I had to share this journey and let people see that you can survive and you can still be yourself and um, overcome cancer and overcome anything. And this was like the third thing that it was thrown on me. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do with this? And I decided to tell my stories and even document me going through my breast cancer. And I'm still, you know, going through it. I'm still having some problems and complications and I still share. So that's why I became um, an advocate for breast cancer, an advocate for families that have someone incarcerated because this was my life. And I wanted people to know you can still go on with your life with you know, obstacles that come in and you don't have to be ashamed of it. It's a reason why you're going through these things.
0: Wow. Like I, I'm listening and I, I like, I, like a lot of adversity that you've had to go through. And so maybe let's, um, cause there's lots to talk about here. Let's kind of um, dissect this a bit. So let's start yeah. with your husband's incarceration in 2003. So did you have children at that time?
1: Yes, we had two children, two boys. Um, they were, uh, at the time, ten and three. Okay. So we had two kids, two children. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and so your three year olds quite young. Your ten year old is obviously, you know, has a good handle of what's going on. And, yeah. and so, were there any signs leading up to his like? I mean, cause our listeners might think, how do you not know that your husband is, is dealing drugs? You know, like, um, so how, how was that? What was that like for you looking back? Can you say, oh yes, that made sense. There's signs. And when he was, you know, taken away, like you said, your whole, your whole family's incarcerated. What was that like? Did you stay with him? Did you go visit him in jail?
1: Um, okay. First, um, the reason why I didn't know, because, um, I, I didn't have time to realize it because I was running, I, I had a daycare. I had a, um, a group family daycare, and he worked for Verizon at the time, um, which is a phone company, and he was a technician. So money really wasn't an issue, so I don't understand why he had to do what he did. And now what I'm looking back, little things that he did, I could see it now. Like extra money would come I wouldn't pay attention because he also was a heavy gambler. He betted on football and he did other things. So it was camouflaged. And again, you really don't think that you don't want to believe that your husband is doing something illegal. Um, when he got incarcerated, it shocked me because I didn't realize, you know, he was doing this because he was doing this in Massachusetts and we were living in the Bronx at the time. Um, And we were about to move to Massachusetts when he got arrested and the DEA called me to tell me he was uh, incarcerated. And I was like, it has to be a mistake because my husband doesn't deal drugs, but he was a drug dealer. And it shocked me because he called me and then the things that he would tell saying to me on the phone, I was shocked. Like, Oh, call this attorney and they know what to do. So I was left in the dark until he got arrested. Um, and it turned my whole family upside down and yes i did stay with him for at least three years while he was in massachusetts but he did not want to change his life he still was doing different things like um the when i went because he was in massachusetts and we were in new york so every weekend we drove to massachusetts to see him and um one of the the corrections officers asked me was i his real was i his real wife and when they said that, I was like, what do you mean? I'm his only wife. They showed me the book, because at that time, back in those days, they were like books that you sign in to go see your loved one. And my husband had, my ex-husband had several female visitors during the week. Oh, wow. Now, during the week, I'm working, trying to make sure our family stays together. And <laughs> he is doing whatever he's doing. So... That infuriated me that day, and I went to that visit, but that was the last visit that I went to. And then when I went to see him again, I served him with divorce papers, and I wrote my story about how <laughs> family time is real. When you when your loved one is incarcerated and people should think about what they're doing, the whole family is incarcerated because you are... You are... um your life is around the jail, like birthdays, holidays. You go to the jail to see them. So we are incarcerated too. Even though we're outside here, we are still living and trying to be normal, but we still try to include them. So we're always up at the jail. And that's no way to be with any, you know, with anyone, with any children. And it's really a hard task for anybody to do. And it's hard because you love them and you want to make sure that they're okay. But it's really a hard thing. It's really hard.
0: Wow. I just, I can't imagine, like, that would, I'm sure I'd feel the same. It would be like someone saying, we've arrested your husband for dealing drugs. I would probably would have said the same thing. That's not my husband. You've, you've got me mixed up with somebody else. He has <laughs> yes. a job. He, he, yes. He's a good father. Yes. I mean, what? Like, I just can't even imagine what that moment was like for you. Um, so um, how... How did that affect your ten year old then because your three year old probably wouldn't have much recollection, but what was that like for
1: your ten year old It was really hard because now you gotta think about it when we go to the when you go to the prisons. this is not a children's friendly place, so now I had to explain to him why we had to go to this place where he had to be searched. There were people walking around with guns um he his father couldn't like move and walk with him to certain places. He had to be careful on how he talked to him or hand because they might think you're trying to hand him drugs. Um, it was very difficult for him, and I had to seek um, they had counseling. I made sure they had counseling because I didn't want them to be affected to the point where they were just where they were just um, where they were, like it affected them and in, in their growth. I wanted them to be able to express their anger, their sadness, whatever they express because again, I'm still their mom, that's still their father, and they probably want to know like, you know, what what um how to express themselves with me. Like what to say, what to do, or they don't wanna be upset with their father in front of me because it's still their dad. They were able to express their anger or they're mad at what their father has done because it takes away their father. Um I never lied to them because some people was like, oh tell them that he went away for work. No, I want them to see if you do wrong, this is what happens. You go to jail. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's you it's not a good it's not a good thing. This is not good. So it really affected them to the point where they are not, they're not in jail. My children are now um, 25 and 33 and they're very, you know, they're very well-mannered. They understand about the jail system, which is um, horrible that they had to find out about the jail system at a young age, but it helped them to understand they don't want to go there. <laughs> so to yeah. It was down. a, it
0: was a, it was a good life lesson on what not
1: to do. Yeah. What not to do. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so do they have, and did they continue? I mean, you divorced your husband, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, did they continue any relationship with them and do they have a relationship with their biological father today?
1: Yeah. Um, they continue. Um, I let them, I let them write. I still like, um, went to, I went to see, to, I let them see him. Um, I would see, they would go see, I would take them like at least once a month to see him. Um, he was upset with me, but so what? (laughs) I made sure they still wrote him. He still, he still called and stuff. Um, when he was released from prison, they do have a relationship with him. Um, I made sure I let them know just because he messed up in the world that is still your father. He made a mistake. Um, he still loves you. Um, it's a hard relationship. Well, Xavier, my younger one, has a better relationship with him than Daryl the older, because Daryl was more, like you said, he understood it more. Xavier really didn't understand it. He just was as happy when he came home. Um, Daryl still has a, um, Daryl still has some, you know, some problems with him, some regrets and different things like that. But other than that, um, it's pretty, it's pretty okay. Cause they're adults now. So, you know, they talk to him and different things like that, but, the relationship is as good as it's gonna
0: be. <laughs> yeah, no, and and that's that's mm-hmm. hey, fair. It's uh, at least they they still have a relationship yes. with him, and they, um, you know, versus you know him going in and and you cut everything off. I think that that was very probably difficult, but mature mm-hmm. for you to recognize that you still, you know, that's right. still their father, and as they grow up too, that they will once they're legal, they'll have the the you know the the information that they have and they can continue a relationship with them or or with him or not. Um yeah and so was that so okay so he goes to jail and it's like boom you're a single mom. And and so what was that like for you navigating raising a three year old and a 10 year old Kind yeah, of it was scary.
1: It, is, it is overnight. Like your ch- life changes overnight and I'm glad you said that cuz it does. And it's hard um mentally. Um financially, it's a big hit. Um you you are you you become you become everything. It was scary. Um I, I cried many a nights. Um I prayed really hard. I really um there's really no community that could prepare you for this is really no support system because people look at this, um, unheard. They look at this community, like they did the crime and so what just move on. But it's not that simple. It really isn't that simple because like you said, the financial burden is on me. I still have to be that mom and now that dad to my sons and make sure that they understand that, you know, we can't do certain things now because financially it's different, um, I had to take on more work, more hours, do other things to compensate for rent or the car note or the car insurance. We had to downsize to a different apartment living arrangement. So it's really a big hit and it's scary. And you just have to pull up your big girl panties and just handle it because you're not a mom. <laughs> so that's it.
0: Yeah, it's not like yeah. you had a choice. Like, you know, someone could say to you, oh, Pamela, your strength, you're so strong, right. but you didn't have a choice. It was right. out of necessity to yeah. care for your babies. It was, it's, you know, no one says, well, do you right. want to do this or not? Right. As a mother, we want the right. best for our children. So you probably just went into yes, like
1: I, beast mode, exactly. pulled up your big girl panties exactly. and is like, this yes. is my new life. Yes, and that's exactly what it is. And you have to keep a smile on your face, even though you're crying on the inside or you're nervous or you're scared. Or... And at night, it was so many nights that I cried and, and begged and pleaded and asked God what to do. But I made it through. I made it through. I was stronger than what I was. Th- I thought I was. And you just do it for your children. You Like you said, you put in beast mode and you just do it for your children. And me... It took to me writing and creating and letting people know that you're not alone in this struggle. That this community is a forgotten community, but it's still a community. So that's why I went into this this advocacy for people that have people incarcerated as well.
0: And so let's talk about that advocacy, Pamela. Like, how are you helping other families that have had families incarcerated? Like, did you start like? a non-for-profit is it online how do people find you like
1: share okay so for (laughs) this is a really big story because um four years ago um my girlfriend um met someone in prison and um i was like i said i was divorced not with anybody just you know becoming an empty nester because my son my baby was finishing up college so um she met her husband now in prison and she asked me to come to the jail with her, um, Mm -hmm. Sing Sing correctional facility in Osning, New York. And, um, I had to, um, visit someone else in order to be with her at her wedding at that day. Um, so she, uh, (laughs) she gave me the name. It was a couple of us that went to this wedding and, I wrote down one name and the COs uh, put the wrong person, which became the right person next to me to sit to me, which is my husband. Now, his name is, um, Corey Liggins. And I sat there with him for three and a half hours and listened to his story. And he had been incarcerated for, since he was 18 years old, um, for a crime that he did. But, um, and we come to find out we grew up in the same neighborhood. We knew the same people. He just was an intriguing and an interesting person. And he was easy on the eyes too, so that was a good thing. But <laughs> I um, just heard his story and I just found him fascinating. And I wanted to write his story about you know how he went to prison and he was he was sentenced to life in prison without a possibility of parole. Um, and I just found him really intriguing. And then I sat there, like I said, for three and a half hours. And the gentleman that I originally pulled down finally walked up and was like, somebody's in my seat. So he was the wrong person. And the person that I was supposed to be sitting with was standing in front of me. So that was the first sign. I was like, you're not this person? And he was like, no. So I left the jail and I came back the next Monday to talk to him. And to find out more about him, because I was really intrigued, and he was a very interesting person. And he wanted to start this magazine called The Wall, and I was like, "Well, what would The Wall be about?" He said, "It's for it's a platform for people that are incarcerated to write their stories, to tell what happens, how they feel, to tell their family members that they love them and they appreciate them, you know, taking this journey with them, and just in general to give them a voice." So we started. I helped him start the magazine called The Wall. And it's online, and you can also purchase The Wall magazine. And it's also, what we have a website, and I also have a podcast called The Women of the Wall. That's how The Women of the Wall came about, because I started meeting women when we were going to visit our husbands, and we were talking about the same stories about how, you know, the pack, you know, how do you get, you know, cheaper packages? You know, um, how can we get, you know, um, a place to stand in the rain when it's raining, we don't have to be outside or, um, just a support group where we're lonely or when the kids are having a hard time, we could just talk to each other. So that became the Women of the Wall. And then we also started last year a prayer visual that we do every September now. It'll be the second time we're doing it in December, just to pray for individuals, men and women, that are behind the wall because they are human, and they do have families. They do have children. They are brothers, and they are moms, and they are dads that are behind the wall, and people forget about them, and they act like they are throwaways. But no, they're not. They're human beings, and they need another chance at life. And their family members, they, they need to have a place where they can decompress and talk about how they feel and how hard it is. And, you know, that's how all of this movement, the Women of the Wall and the War magazine, came about. Um now um my husband is um in New York. They have this new rule. Um I'm an advocate with the new rules that's coming out to give them second chances and the clemency um with um helping with the advocacy with he is um they put in his paperwork for the four forty rule, which is the resentencing rule. So they put his packet together and he's about to be resentenced where it'll be He'll be, um instead of life in prison, it'll be 25 to life with a possibility of parole in 25 years, which he's already served 27 years, and he's been on good behavior. He's been doing a lot of programs that shows that he's remorseful for the crime that he's committed, and hopefully he'll be home for Christmas. So that's how this whole...
0: Wow. Pamela, okay, like... This is incredible. Like I'm just unpacking this. Is your your? I mean, obviously, I didn't know this before you shared this with me. This is all new information. So you went to your yeah. girlfriend's wedding uh-huh. in prison, sat beside uh-huh. a prison mate. You uh-huh. married him. You 27 he has served twenty seven. served twenty seven years
1: of prison, but I've been with him the last four years. We've been married three.
0: And he might be getting clemency and he might be released from Christmas, a life sentence. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, this is like, mm-hmm. wow. I, I don't, this is like, I mean, mm-hmm. incredible. Like, so, okay, so New York has looked at changing their rules. So basically he served... Um, the, his this this amount of time this 27 years and so based on these new mm-hmm. laws or the new law that's coming mm-hmm. into effect he so what are his chances of clemency uh, at christmas like are we talking 20 percent or 80 percent? he
1: is really it's called though and it's not even clemency it's the 440 rule it's a resentencing act that they put into place because he was over sentenced when he was 18 they said they They, um, didn't look at all of his, because he had, my husband had a really, um, rough childhood, and they didn't, um, they did, they did a lot of mistakes with his, he did do the crime that he did, and he's remorseful for it, but it was something that just happened. It wasn't planned, he, it wasn't, like, first degree murder, it wasn't. He did murder someone, but it wasn't, like, he intentionally did it. It was a mistake, um, he was a kid when it happened. He also was an abused kid. Um, he had a lot of different things that happened to him um, that led up to him being in a gang that led up into him doing different things. And I'm just, you know, hopefully like um, his legal team is really positive about him coming home by Christmas. and I'm happy because he changed his life around. He ha- he's a plumber. Um, He got his plumber's license. He has his, he's in college. He's at Mercy College at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. He's um, on his second year in college. So he's really trying to change his life around. We are also, he's one of the model prisoners because we get to, we just came back from a family rehabilitation program. When the incarcerated individual has all of their programs, they are like on good behavior. They're not in any problems and you are legally married. You get to, every 45 days, you get to go out into a trailer, like a cottage. It's, um, it's a two-bedroom trailer. Um, six families usually get to go in at a time. Um, you bring all the food, everything. Um, it's really nice. You get to conjugate like a normal person. So you get to eat, sleep, relax um cook he gets to wear normal clothes we get we get to take pictures this last time that we went which was just last this last weekend we had a barbecue with the other families that were there which was really cool we um we played cards we talked it was really great um and we got to you know be with each other and then on Sunday you leave out and then that's it and then you get to do it again every 45 days you get to, as long as they are um in you know in, um compliance with everything that they need to do they don't get a ticket they don't you know fight they're going to their classes their programs they get this and it's like preparing them to go back into the real world so and you know to be with their families and you know to eat to sleep to you know to you know cook to be with their children so it's really a nice program and we just came back Sunday and it was great and we talked and um We get to talk. We get to, you know, communicate about the magazine, what he wants to be, you know, what what he wants to do with it when he comes home. Um, So it's really a great time. And then you're unplugged from the world because you can't bring a cell phone or anything. So it's just you and your family just learning each other, just being with each other, watching TV and really being a family. So it's really a nice program that they do. And, you know, they get to, you know, be with each other. We get to be with each other as a family.
0: Wow, that's incredible, Pamela. Well, I I say this like jokingly, but so after spending time with him every 45 days like the real thing, you still love him? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And <laughs> so it is so with me every time he says to me, because we've been doing it for a year and a half. We've been having our um, FRPs for a year and a half now, So which is great because that means he's on great behavior. He's on his best behavior. He always, like, every everyone we're leaving, he always calls out to me, I love you. And I never look back because I'm crying because I don't want to leave him in there. I oh. never want to leave him. So I never look back. He says, you never look back. I say, because I'm crying. And I want to see you in that, that setting because I know that you are better than this. And, you, you know, they need to give you a chance so yeah uh,
0: well you know what pamela <laughs> i mean he was eight it's he was 18
1: yeah and
0: and we are a product of our environment like yeah. i always say i i think you know for me i grew up not not wealthy i grew up in a middle class home in a farming community but i had amazing parents and yeah. still to this day they're my best friends And I had such good role models, but if, if I didn't have that role model growing up and I was in an environment where, where drugs and violence was part of our everyday life, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I would have learned. And as sad as it is, and he was a, you know, it sounds like Corey was a product of his environment, you know, and that is what, you know, caused him to do what he did, which you're right, was not right to take somebody's life. But so many years later, as an adult, he's had an opportunity to, um, you know, move past that and learn from that and learn what is right and what is wrong in an environment that wasn't that abusive. And I can't imagine what prison is like. I'm not saying it's not violent either. But, you know, he's had an opportunity for redemption.
1: Yes, he has. I mean, he is, I mean, when I read, because um, I got a chance to read what the lawyers prepared for the DA, because his paperwork is in the DA's office in Manhattan. So I read it, and I was like flabbergasted, because I didn't grow up like that. My parents were not wealthy as well. They're from the South, um, but... He was a product of his environment, like the things that he endured, the stuff that he did, you know, and his father and mother wrote affidavits stating that, you know, he, it was abusive home. It was a drug, you know, related home. So it, it was really, um, I, I just applaud that he even survived to be 18 for the stuff that he did. And he winds up going to jail. And he says a lot that he believes that jail saved his life because he was really on a path that was destructive so mm-hmm. now at he's gonna be forty six his birthday um um in November, hopefully he'll be coming home for christmas I'm wow and
0: I, I I can't imagine how <laughs> joyful that will be for both of you, but also there's probably or maybe you can share with us a sense of um excitement but almost fear because think of the evolution of the world in yes. you know in twenty seven <laughs> years like it's a mm-hmm. whole different world that he's going to have to learn and I mean even conjugating in the in the cottage for a year and a half that's yes. not it's still not real life. Right. Um, yes. You know so and- I you have you would when you talk about that like does he have fear around that?
1: Um he's he's nervous. Um very nervous because you know, he'll ask me certain things, and he'll say certain things, and I'm like, "That is not like CDs don't exist anymore. Everything is streaming." Um, we, we look <laughs> and he's at- like, "What's streaming?" Yeah, he's like, "What is that?" Or social media. He's like, "Well, what is that?" Like they had, he remembers, um, I think face some space thing or whatever, but um, he he doesn't realize that you know Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all these things, they're like, wow, because they do have tablets inside the prison where they get emails, and I told him, emails are really free. Emails are not, um, we don't pay for them, but in the jail setting, you have to pay by stamps in order for them to send emails. I was like, wow. not in the real You know, um, jail, prison is a big business, so I explained that to him. Um, I explained to him, there are no flip phones. Like, he has flip phones where he goes, everything is like, on the, you know, on a tablet or you have FaceTime and you look at each other and Zoom meetings. I'm like, everything is just, the technology is crazy. So really, he just, he's nervous, but then he's kind of excited too, because he doesn't understand, like, he knows he has to learn a lot of stuff. And not only that, I'm trying to find him a great therapist as well, because he's going to have to decompress. Mm-hmm. Just to I'm happy,
0: yeah. Pamela, that you're you're an advocate for that because yeah, that's going to be something that you know he'll probably really need to rely on as he gets back in into society. I and I have to ask this has been on my mind when your when your family found out that you were marrying an <laughs> infant, um uh, you know, I, I have to ask. I, it was, I can't uh, imagine uh, they were like super <laughs> supportive of their little girl and their, you know, their brother or the sorry, their your, your
1: sisters or brothers or whoever your family is. Like, yes. how how did that conversation? Oh my God. It was crazy. First of all, my boys are grown, and um, so that was one thing because my sons are of of age. Um, I'm not a grandmother, so I'm an empty nester. So my my, my father has passed away. Um, he passed, but he's I know he loves me, and he's still here. But my my mom is he just God bless her. She just turned 80 this this last um, week. But um, my sisters, I have two. I'm the oldest of my two sisters. So the day that they actually found out that I was married, to somebody in prison, I came home to like a war council. Um, they were like, like, what are you doing? I was like, um, I I just sat, I came in and it was a lot of different, you know, things said, um, you know, am I crazy? Did he drug me? What am I thinking? All this stuff. I let them talk. And then I stood up and I said, good night. And I went to bed because I'm 51 years old. I do what I want. And that was it. (laughs) You're that not an
0: 18 it. year old daughter, you know, little girl anymore, right? I and only so, one. yeah. <laughs> so. And so, have they? You've been married for years. He's, uh-huh. you know, likely getting out at Christmas. Uh, have they mm-hmm. changed their mindset? Are they more supportive <laughs> now, or is it one of those things like, "Well, we'll see once he gets out."
1: That's yeah. my oldest son. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's my. Oldest. He's like, "We'll see when he gets out." Xavier is more mom if he makes you happy i'm happy but he's also you know and he talks to him on the phone he um you know he's like i want to talk to him on the phone let him know you know this is my mother you better take care of her that type of thing my husband understood it he said you know i'm gonna get backlash because i would do the same thing because you know that's your family um my sisters are they're okay you know they're just waiting to see what is going to actually happen um Mm -hmm. And they got they gained a lot more respect for him when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and the way he was trying to be as supportive as he could. So and where he was at. So he gained a lot of respect with that part of it too. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, trying to accept like what I you know, what I what is going on with him. But they know if I'm happy and I picked him, then it's He should be okay.
0: And so Pamela, and this is, I mean, the vow is really about, and thank you so much for sharing your story and, and being vulnerable. And that's what the vow is about. It's about, you know, empowering our other listeners through the sharing of real life stories. And I'm wondering if you'd share, I mean, you sound very excited in your voice, but there must be also some fear wrapped around in that because you haven't been out together in the real world. Uh-huh. Um, you've gotten to know him probably in a very intimate level because you haven't spent a lot of time together. So I would imagine the conversations that you've had are very long and deep and meaningful, but what what you, do you have, there must be some type of fear around then him coming, coming out of prison with being in prison for so long and cohabiting. And so can you share with us what some of those feelings might be that you're
1: going through? I'm very nervous. Um, I pray that he he respects our vows and I pray that he says he does what he's gonna say um, I still even if me and him don't make it, I believe he still deserves a chance to be in the real world because he's paid his debt to society. He was eighteen when it happened. Um, even if we don't make it as a couple, I know I will still be his friend because he's still a great person. He has, he's funny. He's very smart. He is very, um, <laughs> he's very competitive in Scrabble. So please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like him
0: already. I like right, him already. He's
1: very competitive in Scrabble. I mean, we get the dictionary all the time. So, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's very intelligent. He's, um, he's caring. He's big on family. So I pray that um, I I fear that and I tell him that all the time. I'm like, and I told him, do not want the one thing that I told him, um, because I know this is going to be a whole new world for him when he comes out. Do not cheat on me before you cheat. Let's get a divorce and we can be friends. It's going to hurt me but you can't cheat on me. Cause if you cheat on me, we're going to have a problem. Like, I don't want to be cheated on. I would rather you be respectable and say, you know what, Pam, I can't handle this right now. I'm out here in the world and there's all kind of stuff going on. I need to explore because I've been locked up for 18 years. I will respect that more than the lies and the cheating that I can't handle. So- wow. So you've had some
0: real honest conversations about what this is going to look like
1: yeah (laughs) or what it could look
0: like or what it could look like so you sound it's it's interesting and thank you for sharing that that you've been that honest with each other like it's not that you're giving him permission you're it's the opposite but you almost you sound like a realist like you love this man and you want it to work
1: but because
0: of what you've gone through in the past you've really set some boundaries
1: Yes. I told him, I'm not, you know, just be honest. Honesty goes way further with me than you're lying and cheating. And to remember, and I said to him, remember, we got to know each other on a very intimate level before we were physical. So we know, like, I, like, I know him from in there. So coming out, it'll be different. But I know when you're telling me the truth. I know when you're acting a little bit crazy. I know when you're having a hard time because we got to know each other. Intimacy, our intimacy is so much deeper because we did get to know each other before we got physical. So, and it was during COVID. So we talked, we wrote, we talked and we laughed and we talked some more. I cried, he cried. It was a lot of that before we got intimate. So when we did finally get intimate, that was on a whole different level because now we know each other's heart and our soul and what we can, you know, what he went through, what I went through. So now, and we had more of a best friend before we even really became that intimate. So hopefully it'll work. But if it doesn't, I know that he still loves me. It's just the animal, the man instinct or whatever is going on. Disrespect me enough to, to, to cut ties and then do what you have to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's, um, you know, let's talk kind of about when let's go back to your breast cancer. When you were diagnosed, what's, did they give you a stage
1: when I was diagnosed, they didn't give me a stage. Um, (laughs) they just said breast cancer and it sounded like Charlie Brown teacher, like wah, wah, wah. (laughs) I couldn't understand it. Um, they then had to, you know, do a biopsy and they had to send it off to get, um, to get, um, to get treat, like to get what stage I was in. If my HER2 gene was, um, negative or positive, because um, breast cancer, the diagnosis, it comes a long way now. Thankfully, when my um, my diagnostic c- t- test came back, my HER2 gene was negative, which is a great thing, which meant the cancer was not aggressive. Um, I was sensitive to estrogen and, pre- and progesterone, which meant once they cut it out and gave me the chemo and radiation, I'll have to be on hormones for the next five years to suppress it and then lymph nodes. And it was stage 1A, which was really good, which was in what in, in set two, which it was just right in the left breast, it was two mm-hmm. lumps, and they did a double lump ectomy and radiation to treat everything. So it was really at the beginning stages when it was caught and hopefully it will not come back. So oh,
0: that's I, wonderful, Pam. That's yeah, great. It,
1: it was really yeah, but it's still um because I'm a diabetic. It's different because I take insulin, so they have to really balance everything because it'll make my ins like my sugar levels drop. I'll get sick. I have to take insulin. Um, I had um, a couple of infections that I had to go in the hospital to be treated. Um, in June because of the breast cancer, my um the treatments, my immune system is really really low, so I have to be careful with certain things of that nature. Um, But other than that, um, I feel pretty good. Um, It's still, breast cancer is a really hard um, diagnosis because it affects you mentally. It it affects you physically and then you're a woman. So it affects your womanhood and you really don't know how it's going to be, what's going to happen because that's your breast. So you have to really... I had to really think, okay, do I want them to take off my whole breast or can we just do the lumpectomy? Can we just do that? How I'm going to look, are they going to take off the nipple? Am I going to be desirable to my husband? Am I going to look weird? Like all of these things. And then you lose your hair and you, you know, you. I went to, I'm a, I'm a woman of size, not anymore, <laughs> but I was always a woman of size. <laughs> and like at 18, I went down to a size six. And all of my hair fell out so I, I had to deal with that and my husband was really good when it came to that um when I went to see because I got to see him we did a we did a family um right before the breast cancer um I went to see him the day before I had the surgery and um, we went down on a visit and he had he arranged for all of the um all of the incarcerated individuals that came down to see their loved ones, they all on, they all had on pink shirts. Every last one of them had on pink shirts. And they were screaming out to me, "Miss Legans, you're going to be fine. You're a warrior. You, you got this. You got this. And I was like, oh, God. And I cried. And I was like, this is... And that was the way he could support me because he couldn't be there. So he was like, you got this, babe. You got it. Even the, the correctional officers, they had on, like, pink ribbons. They came over to the table you know, they were very supportive. He was like, listen, this man love you. Please come back because he ain't going to be able to take him if something happened to you. So it was really great. Um And I saw that I did have support because it's hard. It's a hard... I mean, all cancers are hard. But when it's breast cancer, your womanhood, your femininity, everything is intact at that present moment. And you just don't know how you're going to react at that time. But my husband and my support system was very good. And I decided to, you know, document my journey to show people that you can survive, that you can be a woman. You can, you know, get through this.
0: Mm, I love that. Well, and that sounds like writing um, through your journey of of cancer, you know, you turn to writing to put your story to paper. So it's probably very cathartic for you. Um yes. and then it also, you know, um uh, meeting Corey, being able to write about that. I love what you said. I'm a woman of size. <laughs> I've never heard <laughs> that before. I just yes. love that. And so well, when you did when you did lose this weight from being ill, was that were you happy or were were you sad because you enjoyed being a woman of size?
1: Well, at first, because I didn't know I had breast cancer. I had breast cancer for at least, um, since last June, they, they pinpointed when I started getting sick and my sugars were, so I was losing weight and I was like, Oh, I'm losing weight because I had gastric bypass surgery over 12 years ago to control the diabetes. And because I was like 280 pounds. So I, I went down a lot and I was a size, I'll say size 16. Um, By the time my treatment was finished, I was a size six. And I had, yeah, I was a size six. And I was very uncomfortable with that because not even in my teenage years, I was ever a single digit. So I was like, oh my God, I was really subconscious. And my husband was wonderful through the whole thing. He kept going, baby, you small, you little. Oh my God, you so little. But he would make it a joke because he knew it bothered me. I was like, oh, yeah. this is like, all of my clothes were just done. I just, cause right now, um, now I'm a size 10 and I'm okay. I gained my, some of the weight back. I don't think I'm going to gain anything else back, but I'm okay with it. But, um, yeah, I lost and When you're happy,
0: life. like you feel good. I mean, size 10 is very, yes. you know, I think yes. that's a still very healthy <laughs> size. Um, yes. So maybe that was a blessing because, you know, a size 16 probably has some yeah. challenges from a health perspective. It takes a yes. toll on your heart. It takes a yeah. toll on your on your joints and your bones. Yes. So yes. you probably feel yes. a
1: lot better. Yes, I do. I do feel a lot better. Um, health wise, I feel a lot better um, with the diabetes. It really helps because my A1C is really great right now. Um, so my endocrinologist is very happy with my <laughs> like,
0: son. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> so that it, is wonderful. Yeah.
1: So well, and it, I'm it, so it,
0: happy to hear you're in remission, Pamela. I, that's, um, yeah, that's just, I, I mean, beautiful. There's probably some fear around as I, you know, I speak to many cancer survivors about it coming back, but you can't live yes. in that fear. You know, no. you have to, though you may, sometimes you have to push forward, And um, yeah. And so share with us, um, you, uh, you know, you're an advocate for families who, you know, have have families and friends incarcerated. You're an author. Um, You have a podcast. And so how are these platforms between writing and podcast? um, Are they like fostering a sense of solidarity for you? Are they, is it, is it kind of a healing process for you? Share with us.
1: Yes, it is. It's healing. And it's also, um, it's it's really a healing process. And it also gives, like I said, it gives people a chance to know that it's other, because sometimes you feel like you're all alone in this fight and whatever fight it is, if it's a fight with your, you know, with your person that's incarcerated, you know, you're by yourself. You're not alone because we feel the same thing. So I, do these podcasts, I do these platforms. I have these platforms so they know, hey, you're not alone. I'm here with you. I understand what you're going through. I understand you miss your husband, you miss your brother, your father, your sister, whoever is behind the wall. I know how it feels to know that dad, they are there and I'm out here and it's hard. You know, sometimes you can't visit them. Um Sometimes you can't give them money for packages. Sometimes you can't, you know, put money on the phone because it's other bills do. Because they become a big bill. It's having somebody in prison is a bill. Regardless of what you may think or say, that's an extra bill on you. And you have to understand that we as the people that took um we, you know, that we took on this this extra burden we get tired too. And we have to also explain to the person in prison, listen, I'm human. Sometimes I'm not going to be able to do what you want because they want a lot. If you need it, it's different. Needs are different than wants. And you have to teach them that as well. So it's a lot when, you know, your family member is in prison and I want them to know, hey, I understand. And you can say, no, it's okay. You can love them and say, no, I can't come today because I'm tired. Or no, I cannot put money on your books because the rent is due. So they have to understand that it's okay to say no. And the breast cancer form, I'm there with them 120% because I know you are hurting. I hear stories of people losing their husbands and wives, like leaving them through their treatment because this treatment is hard. It's a hard treatment. And sometimes you're tired and you don't want to, you don't feel beautiful. You don't feel pretty. And I'm here to say, no, hey, you're beautiful. You're pretty. Look in that mirror and say, hey, I look good today. I'm a survivor. I love me. you got to love yourself through everything. Everything you go through, you got to look in that mirror and say, listen, I'm beautiful. I'm a survivor. I'm a warrior. I'm going to beat this that's you have to have that my, mindset and sometimes some people don't have it and I'm here to bridge the gap to let you know I'm here for you and yes you're beautiful and yes you're going to make it and yes you're going to be a survivor so that's why I have my platforms
0: oh Pam I just I love what you said because you're not just a survivor you're a proud woman a mother a wife and you really um it sounds like you really have a strong sense of self which is incredible because you have been through so much adversity, but I think that adversity, it sounds like, has given you that that strength. And, you know, I, can, I couldn't be an advocate for the things that you could be because it wouldn't be authentic. And yeah. I, I I believe that your listeners and the people that you help, your story really resonates with them and they can really say, wow, this woman really understands me. You know, she gets me, she knows my pain, she's felt my pain. And so I'm so happy that you're sharing your story with others because I, I truly believe that um, you'll be able to help them. So what have you vowed to yourself in life, Pam?
1: I vowed that one, I have no regrets. Everything that, and I and I, I, have no regrets. And I live life to its fullest every day because nobody is promised the next minute. Um, my father instilled that in me when he was here. Um, every day, you got to live like your last days because you never know. So I am I try to always be positive. I try to always be happy. I try to always help people. I try to be understanding of others because I don't know what someone is going through. I don't know the shoes that they're wearing. I try to always put a positive outlook. Like on my worst days... I I try not to let people know on my worst Mm -hmm. days, you'll always see me with a smile. You'll always, you know, see me happy or, and I could be dying inside and you won't know unless Mm -hmm. I tell you. So Mm -hmm. I try to vow to live every day like it's my last days and to be happy and to be loving and caring and to be God-like. And that's what I do.
0: Mm, I love that, Pam. And I, you know, for the short time that we've spoken and I've gotten to know you, I, I, I believe you when I say that, uh, when you say that, sorry, I really, I really do. I can hear it. Um, before we sign off today, um, I just like to touch on some of these amazing things that you're doing and these books that you've authored and how people find you. So let's talk about your podcast. How do people find your podcast?
1: Um, my podcast is on, um, it's on the the um, dot com. Um, you could just put www.crewpodcast.com, and I'm on every third Thursday. It's called The Wall Magazine, um, and that's the the podcast that um is for the incarcerated individuals and their family members, and they get and it's also on iHeartRadio. Radio, and it's also it's called The Wall Magazine. Dot you know The Wall, the wall magazine. magazine. The okay. Wall. Ma- yep. The Wall Magazine. Yes.
0: Okay. And, and then you have some books so audiobooks yeah. where do we find family time TYME um don't get caught up the diary of a bisexual woman i'm not defined by, by my address or that's that's actually the off broadway play
1: yeah it's going to be this this coming um, 2024 it'll be okay. off broadway yeah um you can find okay. everything on the websites um the first website is the way it sounds. The wall, T H E W A L L M A G A Z I N E dot org. Okay. And then you can find everything else too on the on my other because I have two websites, a book a and all the information about everything that I do, the podcast, how you get the magazine, how you get the books are on those websites.
0: Wonderful. And we always like to spotlight a charity of choice. Is there a charity that you would like to spotlight today?
1: Breast cancer awareness. because <laughs> uh, um and that's coming up in October. You know, October is breast cancer awareness month. People please go get your mammograms, please walk, please encourage each other. Because when I went and got my breast my my mammogram last year, um, October the twenty-seventh is when I got diagnosed, I did not have a mammogram for 12 years. Wow. Because I, I was like, oh, I don't, that doesn't run in my family. And this, I was for whatever reason, I went last year and I was diagnosed. And thank God I went because it was only stage 1A. It, it could have been a lot worse where it festered and it was worse when they finally found it. So breast cancer awareness, please, everybody just... October is coming with your pink walk, you know, get I your cur- mammogram,
0: get your mammogram. Yeah. I've got get mine in mammogram. the last six yes. months. So important. Yes.
1: yes. So that's what I want to spotlight.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Pam, it's been such an honor um, having you on the vow. Thank you for, for sharing. Thank you for being so vulnerable think, yeah, just wanting to share your story. It's not an easy one. And I believe that our listeners will enjoy it. They'll learn from it and they'll definitely take something away. And I would love to have a follow-up podcast with you um, once Corey um, gets Um, out. And once you've had a chance to climatize and live together, I'd love to have a quick follow-up with you and and see how that goes. So I'm going to touch base with you next year
1: definitely thank you so much for having me on your show it was wonderful i loved it thank you thank you for the opportunity and it was it was great thanks pam (laughs) have a great day thank you
0: Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps us spread the stories.